Hey, common scientists. This week, we are coming to you with the topic of gene editing. And more specifically, we're going to talk about a specific method for gene editing called CRISPR-Cas9. Now, CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats, right? And we're talking about this in the context of genetic information. Now, let me extrapolate for a minute before I throw it to our other common scientists here. Um, We're talking about the ability to change or modify DNA, right? The coding basis for what makes us who we are. Um, This could mean choosing your baby's future hair color or gender, or this could mean saving your, your child from a disease. This could mean a lot of different things. There's tons of implications, but to give you that context, gene editing is what the topic really is today, and specifically CRISPR. So I want to kick it to the boys, uh, Aiden and Dre, and see first, when did you become aware that this technology existed? For me, Dre, everybody, uh, it wasn't too long ago. Um, just a few years, I don't know, five, seven years or something like that. Not not too long ago. And I, I, I was definitely um, blown away, for sure. And I think some of the some of the first things I heard about it that really um, kind of just like maybe double take were like the Chinese experiments um, largely con- um, condemned as unethical. Um, like there's those twins that were born who they tried to make immune to HIV and there were some sort of side effects and stuff like that. I don't think they did not succeed. I don't believe. But that was like, I was like, whoa, like people are doing this. People are editing genes and trying to make people immune to AIDS and HIV, et cetera. Like, I was like, that really floored me. And I was like, oh, okay, CRISPR. I'm going to have to remember that name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the first time that I became aware of it. Uh, so, I mean, I was a biology major in undergrad. Um, and I am definitely fascinated by life like most people. Um, and I think it was likely brought up in my gen- genetics course at the very least, if not, if I didn't come across it earlier, but there's not like a specific moment that I guess sticks out in my mind as far as when I became aware of it. Yeah. So to give a little more context, actually first on what genetic information means, um, CRISPR talks about changes in genes, right? Gene editing. And genes are really just the active pieces of our DNA. So our DNA is, right, this code that exists in every single one of our cells that helps program what that cell's job is, right? So a cell in the liver's job is to work as a part of the liver doing like filtration and a cell in your lung is working to help you breathe, right? And that can be coded by DNA, but also things that are aesthetic, like the cells that determine your hair color or your hair type or your eye color, um, that's all coded in our, our DNA. And the active part of that coding is called our genes. So CRISPR is the idea that we could modify genes using um, a discovered bacteria, right? So they found this bacteria that was using modification, gene modification, as kind of a survival mechanism. And 
decided, hmm, maybe we could do that on people. Maybe we could use that or derive that and mess with DNA and see if we can change things, right? So I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that and we can get more into I the just, methods. But. Uh, I just want to say that here's an, an, an analogy that I just thought of that I'm curious what your two's response is to. But um, yeah, one thing that I think is incredibly infuriating but maybe representative of genetic information and like the idea behind what editing it might entail is like getting some furniture from ikea and then having that the cryptic instructions that tell you how to put together that furniture um so like the instructions that tell you how to put together the furniture in my mind are kind of like that is kind of like the dna so the dna tells you okay this part goes there this part goes there um you need to screw in this part here whatever else um like CRISPR-Cas9 kind of changes the game in that it allows us to substitute out pieces of that instruction manual and then creates all sorts of new possibilities uh, in that final product. So in, in this analogy, the furniture, but in life, it allows us to do, I mean, change our own instruction manual. Um, so I think of like, yeah, I mean, it, there's all sorts of applications that have been proposed. There's like the designer baby kind of like idea where, oh, you could choose the baby's eye color, hair color, whatever else, which has its own sets of issues. Um, there's also the, the very real possibility of being able to cure, um, yeah, many rare diseases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like genetic diseases. Um, so some, for, again, for our listeners, like people can suffer from genetic diseases, so have uh, what we would call errors in their instruction manual that would cause them uh, like some sort of suffering. Uh, so we might be able to fix their instruction manual. Um, so there's, I mean, it's a huge, opens up a world of possibilities. Uh, and yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on either that analogy or, or uh uh, some of the possibilities you guys are either most excited for or most scared for or, or whatever else. Well, I think just explaining a bit more, we talked about CRISPR-Cas9 edits um, in general as gene modification, but more specifically with a guide RNA, which is just a guide about where there's going to be cutting in the DNA CRISPR can either disrupt making like a gene silent, um, meaning that it wouldn't be turned into or it wouldn't be transcribed, right? Um, or it can delete a gene, it can just take it out, um, or it can correct or insert a new gene. And so it's important to note that these effects that, that CRISPR could have can only work if we can isolate the specific location on our DNA sequence, which is huge, um, that we would insert something or silence something. So I know it's, it's kind of meta, it's kind of science, it's already like a little challenging for, for us to think of what DNA looks like, but yeah, it's, it's a crazy, um, it's a crazy cool potential therapeutic that I actually helped, uh, that I actually worked with in the lab doing some CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing to help um, develop ovarian cancer treatments.
how is that coming? Like how? So <laughs> the, the research that I was a part of um, was, going, was going fairly well. The problem is that the best thing that we can do in the context of cancer research, or maybe not the best thing, but one of the most informative things that we can do is figure out um, which genes play a role in like cancer metastasis. So if we can study the pathway um, that that cancer is either spreading or getting worse, and we can figure out what the genetic players are in causing that, then we could either silence, correct, or delete those genetic players and then see what the effect is on cancer cells. Now, this is really hard to do because the body is super complex, right? So there might be 12 genes, there might be a thousand genes that contribute to someone having cancer, and it's very challenging to isolate one of those players in, in a cause of something so complex. And while I will say there are superheroes in the cancer research space who are working to do just that and isolate all the genes, because if possible, right, and to figure out if we silence this one, enhance this one, delete this one, all in just the perfect way for this patient that we could just turn cancer off, right? That in theory, that's possible, but it's so convoluted that it's very, very challenging. The best we could do in the lab I was at at the time was figure out if we silence something or enhance something, would the cancer spread more, more slowly? Um, could we enable a, um, a transition for patients from a deadly disease to a chronic disease is more the area of research in it. Yeah, that was kind of meta. So if you guys have questions, please, please ask because I tried yeah. to I tried to humanize it, but it's really hard to humanize. Right. Um, one from what my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, another I mean, just complicator to the whole uh possibility of using genetic editing to uh, reduce burden of, of disease is just the because like Lauren said uh, the body is incredibly complex there's a panoply of or just like to use a, another word like many uh, downstream effects of uh, of something like gene Those editing edits. so like one protein might have a, some purpose in one location of the body and it might have a completely different one uh, in another part of the body. So that is, I think, one complicator would be then like the side effects that might arise from any gene editing. Um, and, the other thing and, is that I just want to say like gene editing in general too is really prone to error. There are, it's a long process. There's a lot of steps in developing even like a primer um, or a guide RNA that will tell you like where are we actually going to cut the DNA, what are we actually going to act on, and that is developed by trying to figure out um, like an antisense code, right, a code that will match up just right so that when we raise the temperature, it's bonded strong enough not to break. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy and meta also, but think about how much opportunity that for error there is I, a scientist, could design then like where that might bond or where that might break and 
figuring out that specificity in a genetic code is really challenging. So I think though, isn't, I mean, obviously that's, that's really challenging and prone to error, but I think to, uh, kind of push back a little bit against that is I think that, again, this is from my understanding of the therapies because there are, uh, FDA approved gene therapies out there. Um, as many of them will, uh, like take a, like the patient, some of the patient cells work with them in a Petri dish, do that, do said genetic manipulation in a Petri dish. And then like on testing the results of that experiment, they would then introduce them back into the body. Um, but again, uh, do your do your research and and evaluate any... at the end of the day too like fda approved any fda approved intervention is going to have undergone scores and scores of testing and so they should know by the time it gets there that they've developed like the perfect gRNA or as perfect as you can get right they've mm-hmm. done the testing to figure out that the match is the match right and right. that there is enough specificity to do the change without you know downstream effects anyways yeah crazy process crazy process but also like i mean just a reminder that it is a human process too that there are scientists working at the bench trying to to make this happen and at the end Um, of the day consult with your local physician because the gene editing i'm talking about is in only cancer cells in a lab not connected to patients right and what aiden just brought up was a patient example for treatment and so right we are just more broadly talking about this as a theory and a method and the craziness that it could imply yeah um and i'm just curious so there's all sorts that we could go back and forth about um and uh hopefully not get too bogged down by jargon but um Dre, why did you, so you were the one who brought up this topic. What, what spurred that on? Um, CRISPR, even though it's not something I've looked into a ton before this week, um, it's just always been something that just like tickles my fancy. As someone who's just obsessed with fantasy and sci-fi, I'm just like, yes, it's coming. The world (laughs) that I dreamt of as a kid is coming and um, going back to our Henrietta Lacks episode with whether or not we should bring the mammoth back to life or whether or not we should use CRISPR to um, genetically construct a dinosaur or a dragon or something like that, a mythical beast, a horse with a horn. doesn't seem like it would be too hard, right? <laughs> but um, I just think it just like lets my imagination grow wild and it just seems obviously the number one priority is to tackle genetic diseases um like sickle cell hemophilia um and then things like conditions like down syndrome and stuff like that that we could because they can now to my understanding just like snatch out a whole chromosome um and obviously they can't if they could have cured or whatever down syndrome I'm sure they would have so it's obviously there's not yet doing that to humans mm-hmm. but um that seems to be on its way that's number one priority maybe looking at um, some sort of immunity to certain diseases that like malaria or perhaps looking at um, some sort of gene drive that is going to wipe out mosquitoes, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's yeah. the number one priority. But for me, as someone who's not involved in it and not like I'm not the one doing the work, I just like for my imagination to run wild and just like, yeah. man, one day we're going to be able to do this, make superhumans and get all these characteristics. And my great, great grandkids will be able to get like, 
Um, not even great, great grandkids, just my grandkids. My grandkids <laughs> would be able to get like mantis shrimp eyeballs from like um, animal transplantation and stuff because that's another thing that the Cas9 kind of um, reinvigorated was that idea because with transplanting animal organs, there comes all those retroviruses that attack the human host or any foreign host. But with um, CRISPR uh, Cas9, or maybe it might even be Cas3, but we're able to, we were able to create. I think in a lab or something like that, like um, a pig gave birth to pigs who did not have all these retroviruses or that they were neutralized or something like that. So just the future of that is just, I don't know, that's just so yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I think it is so exciting. One thing that um, I would bring up is so speaking about the potential of gene therapy, so, uh, and like, which is uh, in, is based on the CRISPR-Cas9 ability to edit genes. Um, is So there was the... Luxterna became the first uh, gene therapy for inherited, for inherited blindness to receive FDA approval back in 2017. About a year later, later the therapy was approved in Europe. Um, and, and so, like, that is bonkers to me and like just is a testament to what you're talking about about the potential of uh genetic engineering uh is like yeah i mean <laughs> the future is now like they're they we have been able to like human humans have been able to uh do things like cure a genetic disorder that causes blindness um which is uh just mind-boggling in many ways um one thing, though, that I would bring up uh, that uh, ha has been a point of, of flack for, uh, like, gene therapies in particular is so oftentimes these uh, gen genetic disorders afflict uh, very few people. Um, they're what's termed rare diseases, uh, which I think the category in the U.S. Uh, of a rare disease is less than 200,000 uh, people with it in the world each year. Um, and so these companies that are producing these gene therapies, they don't have a lot of patients to market to. So they don't have a lot of people paying the premium that comes with developing a therapy. Uh, so here are some of the, the prices by eligible patients uh, of gene therapies. So that Luxterna uh, product uh, costs about $900,000 for treatment, um, and there's been fewer than 30 patients treated. Uh, Glybera, which I'm not exactly sure what that treatment's used for, that was the one that really hit the news uh, in that it costs $1 million dollars. Uh, for for treatment uh, and fewer than 10 patients have received that uh, and I mean it, it very well could follow the the route of many other technologies in that like the the price will go down over time um, because we'll learn how to make processes more efficient and things like that but that's just something I'd like to highlight is is some of the like the some things to be aware of as far as the like potential but also the inequality of opportunity that like gene genetic engineering might uh contribute to but religious figures have also spoken out against it 
Um, I think I don't think there's a general consensus. So not all religious people think that this is bad, but there have certainly been some that don't want to mess with the natural process of God's creation and or destruction, I guess. Um, so I think that's worthy of note. Yeah. Um, do you guys, so what do you guys think of designer babies? Have you guys seen Gattaca? Um, I have, not for a long time. That was, I'm guessing they used the word CRISPR in that movie. I am not 100% sure. Okay, I don't know if they did, but that that was probably the first time that that sort of idea was really implanted in my mind and really caught my fascination. So yes, um, uh, yeah, I'm into I'm into to designer babies. <laughs> <laughs> Your Dre is pro designer babies. Um, yeah, like I guess why would you say that? Um. Uh, I mean, similar to how I talk about with things like Neuralink and um, transhumanism, I I'm not like in I'm in a rush um, in relative to human history, but I'm not necessarily like I'm not saying like we need to start cutting genes in humans right now. Like it's good to go because scientists are saying, oh, probably not safe enough yet. Um, probably not there yet. Yet, but in general, I just I don't want to wait thousands and thousands and thousands of millions of years for humans to um, stop being afflicted by all these plagues, um, whether it be diseases, um, pandemics, or whether it be mental illnesses or um, things that are so enrooted like tribalism and hatred and violence, war. Do you guys think that gene editing would work with evolution or against evolution? Uh, I think, I mean, I guess that's, that's implying that evolution is like some force with like a desired outcome, um, beyond just like what, like, I mean, so one, one representation of evolution that I resonate deeply with is that of Richard Dawkins, who talks about it as far as like a, he talks about it as a blind watchmaker like it's this in this what seemingly uh created this uh like com incredibly complex and uh vibrant and diverse world of of life and everything else um was actually like blind and so like it was this force that just like I mean, set things into motion, but because of the like fundamental laws that govern it, complexity just emerged. Um, and so like, I guess to that point of, of evolution and working against or for it, I don't think there is anything that evolution is necessarily like working towards. Uh, so I think it's just kind of a part of evolution uh, would be my super uh like convoluted way of of going ab about is it. evolution not working towards fitness if only the things that are alive survive um but why would you say that it's working or what do you mean by working against evolution then so or with if, evolution if gene editing not knowing the future consequences ends up like causing a decrease in fitness 
a decrease in the ability to reproduce, like, would it not be working against evolution if evolution's goal is for humanity to go on or for life to go on? Like, is I mean, playing God going to cause unforeseen so, consequences? Oh, okay. So I was going to. So I think. From an evolutionary perspective. So I think. Oh, okay. So I was taking evolution from like the concept of evolution as opposed to necessarily like people who are pro evolution, like scientists who might be pro evolution. Um, and I think that's what I'm hearing from you is like uh, that like evolution um anyways i'm trying to think it think through like your arguments but um i guess i would just say that that like it, it's just it's what humans are going to do because they're capable of it and whether or not that increases their fitness or not it doesn't necessarily it doesn't have anything to do with being pro or against evolution it just has to do with like that is just human's decision and if humans die out because of it then maybe yeah it was a bad idea um for humans but that doesn't necessarily have to do with evolution as a whole because evolution is acting on like all species <laughs> i don't know if i just completely didn't hear what you were say trying to say or say but <laughs> I think you totally misunderstood, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So the last point you made, it just sounded like you're just saying, like, could genetic engineering from a human hand, could that lead to lack of, like, less fitness than what evolution would naturally bring exactly. about? That's possible. Um, I don't think it will, but it's possible. And to kind of more to Aiden's point, at least your original one when you first, when she first posited the question, I think it's kind of like how people see technology versus nature, but it's like everything about technology came from nature because we came from nature and the materials came from nature. So it's kind of like a similar thing where it's like, even if somehow our conscious, intelligent beings, us as that, thought we were going to be more fit and they made ourselves not fit, that was still a product of evolution because we're a product of evolution, mm -hmm. if you believe that. Um, so for me, it's just like, eh. To, like, to your point, I saw, I think, so yes, I believe it's possible, but no, I don't think it's going to make, make us less fit. And then to kind of what you were saying in the beginning, I think it's all just a product of evolution. It's all in that process, and there isn't. Yeah. And I get what you were saying, why you kind of like, originally yeah. thought she was saying there's some, like, force that's, like, driving to something, but... And then in your defense, yeah, it's like it's just driving towards more fitness. Like, there's, yeah. that's what evolution is. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so to answer those both things, um, both of those things. And I just think it's worth the risk, honestly. Um, so I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I don't, like, who knows, like, what could happen. Like, but I think the, the human, the vision of human apotheosis is so enticing to me that I think we should shoot for it. Um, like there's so many things that we never thought we could do. We never knew if they were possible. And this is just another step in that direction. Who do you think should have access? Uh, the billionaires first, then the whites. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I don't know. Um, that's tough. It's yeah. tough. Um, I think specific, I mean, I think just those who need it. Um, yeah. Those who are afflicted by 
the diseases that could freaking help cure. Yeah. Yeah, I would just I would just echo that as well. Um, yeah, the those who need it first. Um, yeah. yeah. For the uh, record, I'm medical. I'm pro Medicare for all. So to me, it would just once it gets developed and it's on board, it's Medicare for all. They need it. Boom. Yeah. They get it. Yeah, I'm. I fall in that camp as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. want to be able to walk into a clinic and know that I'm taken care of. Right. Yeah, I guess that would uh, uh, just one question I would have, though, with regard to that mm-hmm. would be like, I, th- I, I mean, I'm definitely of the camp that if there is disease and like Medicare for all and that, like if there is a therapy that can reduce disease, it, it should be available. So like a genetic disorder that's causing suffering. But like, what if somebody wants to be able to run a little faster yeah or that, like have a different hair color I yeah that's tough go ahead i just i think achievement of a normal is is what will end up deciding right as science does we want to help people achieve normal the issue is what is normal and <laughs> that's that question in and of itself gets me kind of jazzed up and frustrated and all the things because we decide normal based off of our current population and Dre, if you're talking about you know seeking a normal that is like extremely evolved then we're not like we would be talking about different things right and I think that'll be challenging because the other thing too then is okay so then what the hyper wealthy can pay for their kids to be the faster runners and the smarter people and the more fit people and the I mean and the list goes on the more attractive people and then they have every selective advantage to everything in life right because they are faster better stronger all the errs so it's a it's a tricky question yeah but potentially it's it's as immoral to stop the well-off from achieving that level of apotheosis because the meat can't achieve it as it would be to give them that level of it because the meat can't achieve it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like both seem immoral. Like in your paper, in your essay um, Mm -hmm. about open, um, open, open access, um, freeing up technological, um, educational, scientific thought um because it's all it's behind all these paywalls shout out to the blog and aiden's amazing post so you you said one like your thesis was like this is immoral that you guys are putting paywalls in front of all this information therefore stunting human growth Mm -hmm. and that would be a similar thing we're also going to be stunting human growth Mm -hmm. because it just so happens that our economy or like our world revolves around money and only rich are going to be able to get it first now, if we're talking about if somehow we could make some sort of governmental pro or like preemptive legislation where it's like, hey, we can't unleash this. We have this technology. We can't unleash this until this amount of population can get it. Then maybe mm-hmm. um, maybe that's something. But um, I just think trying to limit it because for those reasons is dangerous. I agree. I share those same sentiments because it's just the rich are getting richer, of course. Like, right? Right. The, the people, how is it be? are just getting more powerful. Of course, that's a problem. Um, I'm just hoping, that's why the first genetic, uh, gene editing needs to be 
snipping off some of those uh, greed and tribalism stuff and <laughs> inserting, inserting some of that uh, compassion, <laughs> equality, <laughs> altruism, insert some of those genes in there. So scientists sneak that into there. You're making those kids fast, sneaking some of that altruism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny because there's already like potentially hundreds of genes that contribute to cancer and cancer is a mass that we can measure and like we don't even know how to measure altruism yeah <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine scientists did you hear that jay just put a challenge out. <laughs> We're gonna get you can white. track those billions of genes <laughs> yeah um one thing i would <laughs> one thing i would say i guess to your point dre about the the being willing to, willing to embrace it uh, more broadly is that, I mean, humans have also been kind of undergoing this process uh, and also inflicting this process on other species for thousands of years already. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think about domestication for one, like the dog was only is only like 10,000 years old, which in the grand scheme of evolution is not very long. Like domestication is a much, much more rapid process than like traditional uh, or like evolution. Uh, and I mean, I guess just the process in, in the grand scheme of it, uh, I view it of, of a continuum of like the, the speed of the process of, of like evolution. And so like yeah, I mean, there, like Dre said, obviously there's, I mean, it takes thousands of years for us to get to where we are today in terms of our, like, bio- biology itself. But then we invented uh, or discovered or whatever else you want to call it, like domestication or artificial selection is the other term for it, where we kind of impose certain traits on another species and evolve dogs or cats or cows or whatever else or corn uh, too. And then we have the, the GMO craze too. We're able to build, like create bigger, um, the green revolution. Yeah. The reason that the world's not starving today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean like the, the agricultural, uh, boom that came from, uh, better being able to manage our crops and also fight off disease too. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if if we're doing it in other species, um, it does feel a little uncomfortable doing it to our own species. Um, but I think, I mean, with, with like a lot of smart people working on the problem, um, yeah, I think it could it could only it has a lot of potential. At least, obviously some issues and like that makes these kinds of conversations more and more important is to like discuss the issues and find ways to prevent them. But yeah. um, Anyways, CRISPR Cas9. Here's one thing that's kind of wild to me. Um, Have you guys ever heard of the like three parent babies? Three parent babies. Um, Maybe not. Enlighten me. It's a, pretty controversial as most of the gene editing and all that is um but in the ukraine there's a clinic where uh it's actually helped uh individuals who are not who are sterile and can't have their own children where they will take the egg from a a healthy mother um and then they'll 
which has uh, so two types of DNA. It's got uh, mitochondrial DNA and then like the genetic material in the nucleus. And they'll take out the, the nucleus from that egg, put in the nucleus from the mother who can't have children on her own. And so there's two parents there, right? There's the healthy mother who donated the egg with her mitochondrial DNA and then the nucleus with the second mother's DNA. And then they'll take the sperm from uh, a man and, and, and inseminate it and, and create seemingly healthy children. And it's prohibited in the US uh, by the FDA, uh, but it's just like kind of a, uh, I mean, just, I guess, another testament to, to the times we live in. But do you guys have any, any takes on that? What is the genetic, or like, what's the DNA of that child? So the DNA is not, uh, from my understanding, not modified in any way beyond just like, it's the, the like egg structure, like the cell from one woman with its mitochondrial DNA. And then it's the, the two DNA, like the half of the, the DNA itself um, from the, the, health, the mother who, whose eggs are not uh, functional and then the half from the male. Uh, so it's like, yeah, half uh, nuclear DNA from dad, half nuclear DNA from the mom whose eggs are not non-functional and then the mitochondrial DNA from the like healthy egg donor yeah so essentially mitochondrial dna is more responsible for function of like enzymes and such which help our bodies be functioning bodies right like break down food digestion create what needs to be created however the things that code for um like how we are going to be genetically predisposed right so there's there are the genes that do the work in the body, right? Mitochondrial DNA. And then there are the genes that make you you, which in, this is kind of an oversimplification, but which would be the, the, uh, your genes from your parents, right? So I, I personally don't think there's any problem with that. It's, it's a phenomenal way to provide life using just mitochondrial support from a third, a third party. Um, I do think it would be a little bit tricky because like custody and things because you could measure mitochondrial DNA then in the child that would match the third the third quote unquote parent um, and having looked at like adoption studies and considering myself as a woman if I ever had to give up a child what that might feel like to know my DNA was in the world. Um, I could understand that there might be ethical implications about ownership of said child, but I do think if the correct informed consent could occur, then yeah, it could really be and, helpful. And I think, too, I guess in the vein of the FDA, obviously the FDA has not approved it, but, like, yeah, it takes people pushing the envelope, and we'll see if, if, it, if it turns out to be uh like effective and and healthful for the child um i don't i don't think i would have a problem with it either but number one they they don't sign a contract to say i give up rights to the child i think i'm sure they do i would think i think they do um but yeah 
the okay. inf- I just came across it and it's like uh, I guess like this this clinic that I mean people will come from all over the world to have this done Where it's in a, Germany uh, Ukraine oh, okay so yeah. I'm like sure I'm semi-biased <laughs> as well though because I've looked at even donating my own eggs um, for to enable someone else to have the opportunity to bear a child since in theory, mine would be health should be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's interesting that that's legal. Right, that's legal, but I guess the issue that people have with it is the removal of the nuclear DNA from the egg, like so, like the swapping out. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, then in that case, you are manipulating an egg, and who knows what kinds of effects that might end up having. But yeah, if it if the data shows it's it's positive and they can make a case to the fda um i personally won't get on board with it or yeah i'm not in no way endorsing it uh uh without fda approval but uh it's just like kind of fascinating to see different people pushing the envelope wait so you don't usually endorse things without fda approval okay that's a well because I mean, I'm not in a state of vaccinations widely across the U.S. that are not FDA approved, Aiden. What was that? So the vaccination is not FDA approved for COVID. Well, it's approved for emergency use by the FDA. So. But it's approved for emergency use. It's not approved. Okay, whatever. Semantics. Um, I mean, like, I'm not recommending our listeners to go out to the Ukraine and, and get a third have a third parent baby because I have no idea what the like health impacts might be is well, what right. I'm trying to Our say. Our listeners should be common scientists <laughs> and ask questions and consult with their physician <laughs> and yeah, I'm not going to sign up to go do that, but <laughs> scientifically, theoretically, sure. Um, anyways. Why are you smiling, Jerry? I don't know. <laughs> Nerds arguing <laughs> <laughs> over semantics. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> do you have any input on the argument, or do you want to get us to something else? <laughs> um, I wish I had something to transition into. Actually, I do. I do. But um, yeah, I don't really have any. I don't know the process. I don't know the complications. I haven't looked into it. It sounds like it's it'll probably be popularized and accepted at some point. Um, it doesn't seem like it'd be any issue with it, but yeah. we'll see. Also, yeah. like people who have people who have worked in a field are like biased to believe that they know more about that field, and like this stuff is so complex that we could all have no idea what we're talking about, right? Like it's very very possible that while while we have like we have a lens and we can probably see more into it than than other people um or than maybe the common person uh yeah you should do your research right yeah Always. no question yeah. yeah i don't know i have no strong opinions on that yeah <laughs> i agree yeah. a thousand percent on that fun okay. stem cells though if there was any animal you could bring back which animal would you bring back or create and why uh, which animal would i bring back it's tough for me with like dinosaurs because now that all this evidence is coming out about them just being big old chickens, I'm like, uh, so lame. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. What do you? I got to think a little bit. Hey, you got something? Man, um, I guess I'm just thinking back to our our Hen- Henrietta Lacks conversation about mm-hmm. dragons and mammoths and 
all yeah. the things. I mean, a dragon would be cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Lauren's cool shaking your head right now. Um, yeah, again, nerds arguing over over different things. It, it's it's a real thing. We could bring. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh no, what are you gonna say? I say we could bring back some of like those um, those ancient like long necked swimmers that look like Lapras or like Loch Ness monster. Oh man, that'd be kind of cool. Terrifying, obviously. You'd Terrifying. Stay, stay out of lakes at that point, but <laughs> that'd be, be kind of cool. Um, I I, yeah, I guess it, I was just thinking about it more philosophically um, as opposed to maybe <laughs> choosing a, a favorite animal to bring back. Um, you think there's do one? Do you that guys we need? think? Do you guys think? I mean, we we talked about in the Henrietta Lacks. Uh, Dre especially, I think, brought up the uh, possibility of <laughs> bringing. Like if we bring back a mammoth, bringing back some disease from ages ago that that could have catastrophic effects beyond also the great point that Lauren had that bringing back a mammoth would be terribly expensive and and like we have other money other problems in, in the world to to uh, take care of. Uh, that being said, do you think because these species have gone extinct? Um, like, do you guys think that, I mean, we just shouldn't bring any back? Like, anything that's been extinct, we just shouldn't bring back. Yeah, that's pretty much the camp I fall I fall into. Um, unless you can really clearly point to the destruction of that species being, like, some proportion that's great in, in like, in response to or due to human destruction which like today you probably could um, for, for many species that are going extinct, then I think you could probably warrant it if you're doing it in the name of like rep reparation of what we have mm -hmm. caused, of destruction that we have caused. But the woolly mammoth, I mean, died I, because of what? like I think humans were pretty culprit to, to the woolly mammoth. I think there is evidence that once humans got to North America, they did a good number on the woolly mammoth. Them. Yeah. We're, we're pretty good hunters. And if we outcompeted them as a food resource versus, like, killed them because of CO2, I don't know. I mean, I'm just philosophizing. I don't know what the what the answer in general. I'm opposed to it. I just don't think it's, it's great to mess with the natural order of things. And in that same vein, like, bringing back a whole species as opposed to, like, editing a couple of genes feels quite different to me. But I know there are people who would would say that they're very synonymous yeah i think it's a little bit silly to say it's synonymous um i would have to hear their argument but just my i'm just like oh, that sounds silly and like even when you say like bringing something back i'm much less inclined to bring something back than to just create something mm -hmm. right once we 100 years from now when we have way more control um and this might never happen, but maybe we can just be like, hey, no, actually, we know we know exactly what this does. We're going to do that. And we're going to actually sprout some wings on this thing. And we're going to do that. And we're going to give this some more color. And we're actually going to make blue pigment naturally occur in the in I wonder, nature. I wonder, cool. I wonder yeah. though, I wonder, though, if you two have like a different reaction to, say, species that are around today, like that we personally have maybe an emotional attachment to. So like. Anthropocene continues and say like lions and tigers and and those kinds of species are extinct do you still feel the that we should not bring them back 
Uh, well, those those animals are not very great. I think animals that are more fascinating and more awe-inspiring would be like apes that have entered the Stone Age and octopus and shrimp that have abilities that are like almost nigh beyond our comprehension. I think those are more important to the advancement of life and complexity of life, whereas lions have kind of run their course. We've seen those before. If they went extinct, I wouldn't really care. Like, I want them to live if they're alive, but and not to kill them. But if they, for whatever reason, couldn't compete, I mean, it is what it is. So you're saying maybe, like, maybe we bring back a species if it's to the benefit of, like, human... Not human. He said life. Life. Okay. Yeah. yeah he did say life. Some sort of complexity of life. Something that would bring us to the word that I've been using a lot as apotheosis. Do you think there's a limit, though, to the complexity of life? Like, if everything has a balance and whatever is in motion has to stay in motion and, like, entropy and enthalpy have to balance, like, Mm -hmm. if everything is moving toward complexity, like, doesn't that not work? The reason a tree is stable and trees have been around for forever is because they do what they do and they do that well and it's not all that complex, right? Like in some ways so here's a thought experiment that like i think so i think about um i've thought about a bit is like so uh like there's this tension right between like individuality and like the and cooperation and um you think about like the human body and we're a composite of a whole bunch of cells that are all cooperating together. Um, so like we, we zoom into the future and like humans have eliminated pretty much all other species besides for, um, I mean, yeah, pretty much all other, other species we're eating like 3d printed, um, meats and all these things. Uh, the species on earth, like, have we necessarily, uh, like reduced the like complexity or the vibrance of life if we're just one of many other multi like many other species out there in the universe bear with me like is it is it then okay like if if humans like take over earth basically and eliminate everything else if there are Obviously, it's like kind of a, a big if, but like if there are, is other life out there, like is there anything inherently bad in the reduction of biodiversity, diversi- biodiversity. on one planet? Yeah. Out of a, out of I mean, yeah, an infinitesimal mm-hmm. amount of connection. I mean, in your hypothetical, I feel like you set us up to say no, right? Like in an infinitesimal universe with infinitesimal biodiversity, then like yeah, one planet with one species of human. Like, if we dominate, fine. But my understanding is that biodiversity contributes to the health of our planet in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I mean, I think your argument is kind of faulty because you can't necessarily, like, you can't conceive a universe, or I mean, a planet that is healthy without biodiversity, like, under the current limitations of, of science and our understanding of, like, the life of a planet and those sorts of things. So, I mean, yeah, in, in that conceivable situation, then sure. But outside of that, in the reality where we live, where we, we do not know of any other intelligent beings and we know that biodiversity contributes to 
a healthful planet. I don't think that that makes sense. Dre? Um, I don't... Um, I do not know. <laughs> that was a hard question. <laughs> um, I don't I do know. Not know. Can you can you word your sentence your question slightly differently? I guess is it is is it ethically like bad if like humanity takes over the planet and is like the I mean soul species beyond that which might serve it like the soul conscious beings the soul being yeah no other mammals no no other mammals like is it ethically bad basically Mm. is what i was arguing Um, yeah sort of what you're arguing in a world where you are assuming that there is infinitesimal biodiversity elsewhere so actually scratch that we don't know okay we don't know we don't know Hmm. I think to oof, that's tough. Because I was gonna say to I think to like intentionally do it, destroy biodiversity, destroy other living beings is bad. But even if we are striving towards a complexity at such a rate that no other species can compete with us taking over, and we no longer need that species, and that and our trajectory ends up to just as a byproduct eliminate that species should we stop our kind of skyrocketing trajectory to prevent these lives these lesser lives from being extinguished these lesser consciousnesses from being extinguished um it's tough the vegan in me says perhaps but i also think that I, even though I am a vegan, I don't think that for whatever reason that humans, non-human animals are equivalent to us. And I don't think that plants are equivalent to animals and plants are alive. Animals are alive, bugs, and we're alive. So I do have some sort of hierarchy though. I merely say like, is our goal. So with eating animals is our goal to eat and taste good animal meat worth that animal's life i say no now is our trajectory into complexity and galactic civilizations galactic residents is that worth forsaking every living being and possibly toppling every living being every living being on this planet in order to get to that point (laughs) (laughs) oh that's how i'm seeing this yeah and the planet and the planet, the planet the also planet could itself, just die. It would die, right? We know biodiversity contributes to like plant life to every. I mean, we know all of those things. Hmm. So, so it's I, like, I are guess, we gonna first say? I guess Earth what I'm imagining completely? is like the equivalent in in like Star Wars, you know, like the urban cities or the urban planets where it's like all like urban jungle and and humanity has taken over or whatever species has taken over. Um. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough. Um, I don't know, because I definitely am. I do have a bias toward moving toward complexity and moving toward apotheosis. Like, whatever the greatest you can be, move towards that. 
apotheosis doesn't necessarily mean it has to be complex though why are we talking about those synonymously yeah that's we, because we're the most complex beings on earth and we see ourselves as the moral arbiters of our like our physiology though or our ideology like achieving simplicity for some people i mean the whole minimalist idea is is that life has become our life our lives are too cluttered to like find happiness yeah that's a specious argument though and a false equivalency because you're talking about our lives us our consciousnesses creating too much complexity and convolution in our lives that's different than us being a complex being okay sure but even so i will grant you to a point i do think that as we get more complex there we will paradoxically move to a singularity I do believe that. As a species? As life. Hmm. So you're saying we're like all converging? I think... Like we're converging towards like one... I mean, so you're, I guess you're just like saying you think that we might... That we might converge towards one complex being. Like life might converge towards one complex being, which is kind of the equivalent of saying like, oh, this one planet. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, either it's kind that. Of similar to like the idea of having one <laughs> yeah. planet with one life form on it. Yeah, either that or we'll all just end up as crabs. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? Why, why does why does everything keep evolving into crabs? No. Like, Google it. Why does everything keep evolving? Nature loves crabs. Um, Man, but yeah. I disagree. I think. Plus, on the whole, I've like entertained these hypotheticals as long as I can without saying you guys are idiots. Like, we should maintain biodiversity. We should be good stewards of our planet. We should ensure that people, all people, are treated as equally as possible in terms of opportunity. Like, we should definitely not be so hell-bent on achieving this apotheosis of whatever bullshit you're talking about that we don't appreciate our freaking lives now like we have it damn good right now how we are if we don't evolve anymore i mean i don't understand this this desire this incessant just i don't even know upset upset obsession with wanting to achieve the earth the better the faster the stronger the all the things like Humans are beautiful right now. The argument I would have against that, though, is like I agree that you can't focus entirely on focus on the the ers like achieving the uh, a more uh, whatever a society with less suffering, a individual with less suffering, like. I agree that you can't focus entirely on that because you do have to to appreciate the present. But I would say that it is important to continue to evolve because we just talked about about the importance to adapt to the times and like obviously like thinking about. I mean, climate change is obviously a big uh, example of that. Is like okay, well now we got to transition. I guess that's a little different. I mean, that's definitely different than like. Uh, genetic engineering of our own beings but like thinking then back to the agricultural revolution of engineering more efficient produce i hope and pray that it's not at the expense of the beautiful biodiversity that makes up the world today 
But I, I, I hear you. Like, if the need to evolve ends up overpowering whatever coexistence we have, I, I see that, and I, I hear you. I just gotta believe that it's more possible to achieve something more balanced, and I don't think that the universe would tend toward that amount of order in in one species yeah i'd back you up on that so uh, yeah i'm not and i guess back to that the question of like is it like ethically bad i think yeah i think we should definitely endeavor um like to preserve biodiversity um Man, CRISPR, who knew that it would take us to the new world's theories and I don't know what else. Yeah, it's it wild. Went abstract, but I think, like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, like, like, we should definitely endeavor to preserve biodiversity, um, but there will be, um, I mean, obviously the issue with that is that, like, as humanity continues to evolve its complexity, there might be some casualties along the way in terms of species or and that's evolution yeah that's where it just gets um silly to me is it's not possibly it's necessarily that's going to happen that's already what has happened um Mm -hmm. so i just to me to draw a delineation between humans becoming evolving into a greater being that will be potentially moving towards singularity and saying, oh, yeah, like in the process, we're going to wipe out all of life. It's like, oh, yeah, I understand how that's bad, but that's already what we're doing. And yeah. people aren't like we're, And we all know that meat eating meat is doing that. We all know that bigger cities is doing that, but we're all complicit in that. So for me, it's just like, well, we're doing that now. And if you're saying that it's OK to stay this way, that's I'm like, how, how could this what humans are right now be OK in any sense? And especially. For you, I know personally you're a Christian. I don't know what kind of Christian beliefs you have, but Christian, the Christian like gospel is all about apotheosis. It's all about dying, being born anew, and becoming one with God. So it's like, that's a little bit silly for me to be like, oh, yeah, this planet's okay. Human life, it's okay. Everything's okay. Murder is rampant, genetic mutilation, war, animal suffering. It's all okay. We have a good. But, oh, when I die, I'm going to go hang out with God. So then it's cool. It's like, okay. That's weird to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I hear you. Um, I, I think about it so differently than you. And I think the reason is that I don't see a direct, because I've been in the slum of the science, like I don't see a direct correlation yet to like, to solving human ails. Like I think, I think gene editing can do wonders, but I personally don't believe it will like eradicate human hunger or I mean you're right there's a lot of things wrong with the human species right now and I honestly don't think gene editing is gonna cure those things I don't even think it's possible personally um I think we can evolve in other ways that that are easier to genetically study and I mean but like in theory if you could map empathy then maybe but right now that's so far from what I know is capable in a scientific lens 
that there is no amount of like editing or cures to the human condition, which mm-hmm. is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so the best I can do then is to be a good steward of the planet, live my best Christian life, which yeah, to me does mean being a good steward of a planet and resources. Um, and personally, very personally, but like limiting meat intake and limiting uh, my impact on the planet to do as much good as I can each and every day. Yeah, I think just to echo what you said and correct me if I th- if like I heard pieces of it wrong, but I think like I would just like to say that I do I mean I, I agree with you. I think that like the that gene editing is not the answer. I think it can solve some problems. Um, but it's not the answer. I think like there's so much other engineering that needs to happen, including like our like legal system, political system, like all of the, obviously there's the biological complexity uh, that we, we, that like give, gave rise to, to humans in many ways. But like there's on top of that, there's further levels of complexity. There's um, this psychological frameworks and then the sociological and and so on and so forth and like how uh, beyond even just like engineering the genetic code itself I mean there's just like I can only imagine um, the different kinds of political uh, constructions or or, uh, social constructions that might come up that that could lead to less suffering Um, and so yeah I, I, I would just I think echo um, and and say that I agree with you that it's not not the answer but can help in some ways. Common science, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like man, way to definitely ask questions and push each other. This episode, man, with that common scientists, we raised some crazy questions about the world, um, about the capabilities of science, about the capabilities of us three as common scientists to even shift our own beliefs and challenge each other even in this conversation to imagine greatly um what the world could look like at the height of what could be possible which got even a little sci-fi like oriented but was good was asking questions was investigating things that are likely going to be future conversations at institutional and household levels so hopefully this prepped you a bit for what we really think is coming and at the end of the day you'll have to be your own common scientist and find out